welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I, um, I felt this week to share with you actually our journey of coming to Whangarei, and then I want to... Uh, unpack a, a kind of a chunky scripture um, with you this morning. So buckle up, hold on, pray that the Spirit of God moves through me because this will either be a really good message or an absolute train wreck, okay? So just being honest, that's where it is. I need the Spirit of God to move through me this morning. Uh, I do not want to try and do this one in the natural man. Um, so we, as Simon said, uh, we're senior pastors uh, down in a church in Canterbury. Uh, we'd been in that church for 23 years, and then God called us to the mission field to work with Mission Aviation Fellowship, retrained as a pilot, uh, flew for one year as a line pilot up there in and out of Aboriginal homelands, and then uh, God asked me to take the role of the general manager up there, so I was in charge of the, of the bases up there, um, which was a fairly major job. Um, and so we were tracking away doing that. And I had a good friend up there who, um, he actually does the aeromedical fit-outs for the um, helicopters and the care flight planes and the Royal Flying Doctors, the big lifting arms that take people into, uh, into the aircraft. And, uh, and he'd done very successfully with that and really just gone out to help with um, Mission Aviation Fellowship. As a pilot, uh, <laughs> while his other business is making millions of dollars, which is really cool. Uh, and so he, had, he was an engineer. He had worked on mosquito bombers uh, when he first came out of his training. And he heard that New Zealand was famous for mosquito bomber restoration. Some of you uh, that geek out on aircraft may know that. And so he said, Chris, I've always wanted to go over and visit the mosquito bomber restorations. I said, well, Neil, if you're going to go over to New Zealand, you really need to fly in New Zealand. Because seriously, flying over flat land that's nothing but savanna is pretty monotonous. Flying amongst mountains that are snow-capped and go up to 13,000 feet rather than 7,000 feet like Mount Kosciuszko, it's pretty cool. And, uh, and so he, uh, he was pretty keen on that. And I said, look, I know someone with a New Zealand pilot license and with an aircraft, and who can get hold of an aircraft. Hello, uh, you can pay the bill, I'll take you. Uh, and so he did. Um, and so we came over here, looked at the mosquito bomber restorations, had the most amazing flights uh, around New Zealand and, uh, and just had an absolute blast. Um, but we ended up in Auckland. We were flying back out to uh, Arnhem Land and I had one night after he had gone, I had a car, and I thought, you know, I'd really like to just go and have a retreat and spend some time with Jesus. Uh, there was a fair, a fair bit going on up in Arnhem Land at the time, and so I thought, what can I do? thought, I don't want to really spend much money. Um, I know, I'll drive north where I know there's a few dock camps, and I can sleep in the car for a night and just spend a bit of time with Jesus. I God speaks to me when I'm in the bush, when I'm out, outdoors. I love it. And so I ended up at, uh, at, the, at the beach down the road there uh, by um, Ruakaka. And, uh, and I'm walking up and down the beach. And I've been up, there, up and down that beach for a couple of hours just praying about a whole bunch of things. And I turn and I'm walking and I'm looking at Whangarei heads. I'm looking in the direction of Whangarei. And the Holy Spirit clearly says to me, Chris, your next assignment is in Whangarei. I'm moving you to Whangarei. 
Now, you've got to understand at that time that we thought we had gone out on what the second half of our life would be, that we would be out on the mission field, that there'd be something happening out there. We did, it, did not actually foresee ourselves necessarily coming back to New Zealand. Secondly, you've also got to understand, I had never been into the city of Whangarei. So I don't know what I'm up for right now. I had heard from friends that there was a pretty cool town basin. And, uh, and so I thought, well, okay. Uh, and so I, I can't remember what I prayed for the next wee part, but I stayed on the beach and, and prayed some more. And then I drove into the city down to the basin. I went, oh, yeah, that's not bad. Pretty cool. And uh, I thought, right, I want fish and chips for dinner because Australia does not know how to make fish and chips. Okay, they seriously, they do not know how to make good fish and chips. Uh, so my last night in New Zealand, I want fish and chips, and I thought, cool thing is, you do not have to walk far in a New Zealand city or town to find a fish and chip shop. <laughs> and so I'm parked in the town basin, and I walked all around the city. There are no fish and chip shops in the city of Whangarei. And God is calling me here. Come on. I was right up, I must have been right up uh, near the top end of, of Bank Street, probably up somewhere around by where Salt Cafe is. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me again and said, Chris, I want you to go back down to the city basin and I want you to have a really nice meal. I'm like, okay, cool. So I walk back down to the city basin. I'm over by Pack and Save, and I hear this voice yell at me from the other side of the road, Christy F., what are you doing here? And I look over, and, uh, and here is a, a, a friend of ours. He, he was actually the first person in my life to prophesy over me when I was 16 years old. I can still remember the prophecy very, very clearly. So I cross over, and I have a chat to him. Now, he lives in Hokitika on the west coast of the South Island, and he's here in Whangarei. And we just have a very brief conversation about how good it is when you know that you're right where God wants you to be. This is what he said to me. He said, isn't it great when you just know you're right where God wants you to be? I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and it turns out he was up here for his son's wedding. God had obviously orchestrated me getting back down there at the right time to see him because that was just another confirmation of what God was doing. So I went and I sat down at one of the restaurants and I had the best meal that I've had to date in my life. Seriously, it was a salmon dish and it was exquisite. And having had that, I thought, well, let's carry on and uh, I will have a dessert as well. I had the worst dessert that I have had of my life. What was God setting me up for there? Anyway, he just spoke, he spoke three things to me while I was sitting there having a meal basically with Jesus. And, uh, and so I, uh, to me, I was like, wow, bang, 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 I'm moving to the city. So I went home to Arnhem Land and I said to Ruth, uh, I think we're going back to New Zealand and I think we're going to live in Whangarei. To which Ruth says, that's interesting. She said, because, so we had travelled through past Whangarei, along the road, uh, to get to the Bay of Islands, like many people do, and stayed in our caravan in the information centre car park uh, eight years prior. And she said, it's funny, because when we woke up that morning, 
she said, I felt like I could live here. She said, it was a really weird, weird thing. I've never felt that about anywhere else, but I just felt like I could live here. Uh, and so I went, okay, that's interesting. Uh, let's get the family on board. So if it all goes pear-shaped, they can't blame it all on us. Uh, and so we, I got the two girls who have a bit of a prophetic edge to them. And, uh, and I said, girls, we think we're going to be moving back to New Zealand where do you think we're going to live? So being the good homeschool children they are, they shoot off and they get an atlas out and they put the atlas on the table and map of New Zealand. I remember them st- standing there at the kitchen table and I, in my recollection, it was probably a good couple of minutes that they were just looking at this map. And I watched them both at the same time, both point straight to Whangarei. Uh, Kayla didn't know how to pronounce Whangarei at that time. Uh, she now does. Uh, and so by this stage, I'm just like, okay, this, this is a done deal. I have never had such clear confirmation to be somewhere as I did, uh, as we did with that. And then, of course, you know, so this is March. We don't move back to New Zealand until the following March because I had to give plenty of notice and serve out the four-year term that I'd, I'd signed up to. I wanted to honour that. Um, and... Of course, God says nothing in between. You ever notice that? Yeah, go to a straight called street and there you will meet a man. Uh, And he says nothing in between. And then we come and I'm like, okay, we'll holiday here for a couple of months or or, or for four weeks rather, and we'll just catch what God is saying. And so all the time through that holiday, we keep coming back and we're staying at Fonanaki and uh, Oakra and we keep coming back and God would not say anything about the city what we're here. And of course, I'm looking for jobs. And you know, it's like great when God tells you to get somewhere, but when, when you've got the skill set that I have and you're looking, you're looking the whole of New Zealand, there's these really cool jobs and God has like narrowed you down to the jobs in Whangarei. He's just like, this is really actually, that word became a burden. It, it, it was kind of like, this would be so much easier right now not to have had a word of where to go. Uh, but he slowly unpacks with us, and it's the day before we were to leave Whangarei, head back down south uh, to f- uh, finish up with our supporters there, and, uh, and we looked after a church in Wanaka for nine weeks. Um, but the last day before we left, God gave me a vision of a light shooting through from the town basin right through the centre of the city and right up to the council building. And he spoke to me then about being involved in the heart of the city, the city centre. And um, by that stage, I knew they didn't have any fish and chip shops and they didn't have good dessert places. He started to unpack over the next couple of months what we would do. So there is no doubt in my mind that we are supposed to be here. The other interesting thing was that we kept getting the number eight. Uh, and, um, and, and so number eight would just keep cropping up. And we were talking about it one day at the ca- sitting at a campsite. And I said, it's just so crazy how the, the number eight keeps showing up. And I looked over at the campsite we were in. It was number 88. We went, was, uh, went for dinner one night with some friends uh, down to the quay. And uh, as we're walking in, I said, oh, that's, that's the place where God really spoke to me about being here. And they said, oh, number eight. And I was like, you're kidding me. Is that the name of the restaurant? They're like, yeah, that was number eight. Number eight, of course, is New Beginnings. Um, and so, yeah, there's just an incredible confirmation about us um, being here. And why do I want to share that with you? Well, basically because Jesus told me to. I hope it encourages you. 
that God wants to lead us by His Spirit and He wants to take us on incredible adventures. And, and, and for us, that has been moving around somewhat globally. Uh, but for many people, it's also an absolute gift and an absolute blessing to be planted somewhere long term and to be outworking an adventure that God has for you in a specific location. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so be encouraged with that this morning. Um, can anyone tell me? I'm going to build off this, I promise. Can anyone tell me what is the shortest parable in the Bible? Does anybody know what it is? Have a guess. Interesting, eh? I, I was in the same camp this week. I had no idea what the shortest parable was in the Bible. And so after today, all of us are now going to know what the shortest parable of the Bible is. Isn't that cool? All, all of a sudden, we're going to get a new piece of knowledge, something cool. Yay, God. That's what I love about hanging around in the Bible, is that you're still discovering things after reading it for 40-odd years. Um, yeah, this is it. This is the shortest parable. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven. You remember, remember through this passage here, Jesus is on a real bender about what is the kingdom of heaven like, and he's giving a whole lot of examples. And then he gives this one. It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. You know, that's a good 30 kg. That's a heck of a lot of flour, 30 kgs of flour. That's a good sack. Mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Each one of us are called to bring his kingdom here onto earth, to be salt and light, to be yeast that permeates into every sector and sphere of the loaf. Every sector and sphere of the globe. Every sector and sphere of Whangarei, of Scotland, of Fiji, of wherever it may be, wherever we are planted, wherever our neighbour is. We are called to permeate the kingdom throughout every sector. And in a world that is fairly challenging at the moment, we don't have a get out clause. We actually don't have a clause that says, well, it's all going to custard. We've just got to kind of hang on till Jesus comes back. That's not my understanding of the way that Jesus set us up. He said, I'll give you my spirit so that you can go out and you can be representatives for me, that you can spread the yeast into every specter of society. So I want to encourage you today that that is what every single one of us is about. Now, the next thing I want to do is that I want you to pull out your cell phone this could be the first time you've ever been told to, to text somebody in church. Potentially. So there's a whole day of new beginnings. We now know what is the sort of shortest parable, and now we're going to text in church. I want you to pop in the message, Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, and then, get this, I'm going to let you text somebody else in church. This is a big moment, isn't it? It's a big moment. Romans 8, and just text it to somebody else that you know is here. Oh, there we go. Someone didn't have their phone on silent. Hey, that's good. I was hoping we'd get a whole lot of those. Yeah. I'm waiting for my phone to go blip blip. I'm sure one of my kids is lining it up. 
Okay, that's cool. The reason I want you to do that is because I've preached so many messages in my life. I think I counted up, I've got 270-something messages that are stored on my computer. Uh, And I put a lot of effort and a lot of work, as do most people who come and speak. And you know what? If we don't take it away and do something with it, within 48 hours, we might be lucky if we retain 25%. And so kind of like where I'm at in in, in my stage of life, I'm just like, I want people to get stuff that they can take out and they're going to use. And so I want to encourage you to do a little bit of follow-up this week after this message and to go and to read Romans 8. Now, the cool thing is that you've texted to someone else, which actually means it's still on your phone. Okay, so it's going to remind you that. Just pull it out and read Romans 8 because I'm not, I haven't got enough time today to do this chapter justice. I mean, how many know Romans 8 is one chunky passage of Scripture? You know, Rome, the whole book of Romans is a chunky passage uh, of Scripture. And so I just, I haven't got time to give it justice. But if you will, if you will be diligent with it, is I can promise you that God will build upon that revelation that you received today and he'll build it and he'll speak to you directly of how to apply that in your life. That's pretty cool, eh? The, the, the Word of God is living, it's powerful and it's effective uh, and it accomplishes so much. So it's good to get it inside of us. Okay. The real passage I want to deal with is verse 18 to 25, but I want to just set you up so we know what has come before that, okay? So Paul has painstakingly explained this in the earlier part of Romans 8. He talks about that the mind governed by the flesh leads to death and is hostile to God. It cannot please God. The previous chapters, he's talked about you know, that, that wretchedness of how I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I really want to do. Okay, so he's been, he's been dealing with our humanity and now he's dealing with the flesh versus the spirit. And this is what the flesh is, the, the fruit of the flesh, it is hostile to God. It cannot please God. But then he talks about the spirit and the spirit is life and peace. And so we are sons of and daughters of God, and we are now governed by the Spirit of God. If we have asked Jesus into our life, His Spirit has come and made residence with us. He's the ultimate body snatcher. He's taken us over, and we live by the Spirit. And so therefore, he's saying, if you have the Spirit, you are led by the Spirit. Hence why I wanted to just give an example today of us being led by the Spirit to uproot our whole family, to not choose to go back to where we were familiar and where we knew people, but to come and be led by the Spirit and planted, because that's who we are. We are ones who are led by the Spirit. And then, now this is, this is a clincher line. I'm actually going to read this one out to you. In verse 16, he says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And, he, and that, that is a key scripture in that whole passage. I believe that Paul is really working to want us to grab a hold of that. I'll read it to you again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. There's a good word right there. How awesome is that? And then he goes on to build upon that and says that we are therefore ears, ones who inherit the full benefits of the Father. And we are, this is powerful, co-ears with Christ. 
Jesus becomes our brother, our sister. We are co-heirs with Christ. That's a phenomenal positioning that he has just given us. Hence why Jesus, when the disciples said, can, you know, well, one of the mothers came and said, can my son sit at the left and right? He's like, you don't know what you asked for. I've actually reserved that spot for everyone. Co-heirs sitting there in heavenly places with God, with Jesus. And then, then, right at the end of that, he says, we share in his sufferings and that qualifies us to share in his glory. Which brings me back to that point. If you signed up for an easy life by becoming a Christian, we're on the wrong train. I said this to Ruth earlier in the year. I said, you know, if anyone ever gets up and tries to do an altar call like that, I probably will stand up and say, no, it's not true, but it'll be fulfilling. It should be fulfilling, but it's not going to be easy. Not, uh, not in the world that we still exist in. Okay, let's read this through, line by line, 18 uh, verse. Actually, I might just go with it up on the, um, up on the screen here. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So he's getting at that there's a tension that there's a glory that is coming and there's a glory that is actually being revealed into us um, and the suffering and the wrestling that we go through now, one day we'll just think, wow, wow, that's all we had to go through for this. That's a pretty cool promise. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now this, this is a, this is a passage here. Okay. The, the creation is waiting for you and I to be made manifest, children of God. Okay. So the creation has been subjected to futility by Adam, and it's waiting to be liberated by the children of God which in an earlier passage, Paul has painstakingly pointed out that we are now the children of God. So there's, if you read this passage in the New Living, you will think it is all futuristic. If you look at it in New King James and NIV, you will start to see that there's actually a tension there between in the future, but also present and now. So there is a glory that is being revealed now that will not be ultimately fulfilled until Jesus' return. But nonetheless, it is being outworked now. Because we are children of God. Creation is groaning. It is waiting for us to liberate it. Now think about that as being dough that gets into every, uh, sorry, yeast that gets into every part of society. We sense and we know that things can be so much better. We live in a tension that things can be so much better. We know because we have the Spirit revealing to us the future glory. But we also know that there's some things that are really tough to work out at the moment. But nowhere in there does it give us a get out clause. Let's read on uh, a little bit more. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, Adam, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of 
God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So let's, let's take this a little bit further. It talks about it's been, the whole of creation has been groaning as in the births of childbirth. Okay, So it, it's a birthing something new and phenomenal. Okay, It doesn't say we are in the process of, the creation is in the process of death. It actually uses it in the positive and says it's in the, it's in the process of birth. When, when something is being birthed, there's an expectation. I've noticed that you guys are very good at birthing babies around here. They come into the shop and it's beautiful to see. I love, I love seeing uh, young families and starting you know, that awesome journey. It's an exciting time, isn't it? It's a time, but we know that there's, a, there's that waiting and there's that anticipating and there's that preparing and there's that outworking that's going on. That is the same thing that is happening in the globe at this time is that you and I are preparing and we're outworking and we're helping to birth and liberate the globe. So there's a process and then there will ultimately be an event where Jesus will, will, will return. But at the moment, we're in the process. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So the first fruits of the Spirit, when you see about that being talked in the Bible, that is about salvation uh, and the Holy Spirit. It's about the resurrection power of Jesus and the Spirit, which he said, you have the Spirit of God. You are led by the Spirit. So we've got the first fruits. We understand that the Spirit within us is, is yearning and wanting to see a liberation of the planet. We've got those first fruits. of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So it finishes there with, you know, ultimately we want to see that new body that we're going to be given that doesn't wear out, doesn't deplete, doesn't, isn't subject to sickness. We don't have to worry about doing our hair uh, for two hours a day or anything like that. You know? We know that there is something better than, well, this body's pretty awesome, but there's something better uh, to come. And we're aware of that and the last uh, last passage there. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we have hope for what we do not have, yet have we wait for it patiently. The New King James puts a really cool word on the end there, and it says, "We wait for it patiently with perseverance." So. The reason I want to mention that word is because it's of a, of a, of a waiting, but also an active waiting. You don't, you don't persevere by passively sitting. There's the, again, there's that forward movement. So, yeah, this is a big chapter of Scripture to unpack. How are we doing? So, this is why I want you to go home and look at it some more. But the essence, what I believe Paul is getting at here is that we've been given the Spirit of God, the earth is looking for liberation, there is a now moment to liberate it, but there's also a frustration because we will not see the ultimate fulfillment of that till Jesus comes back. So we will live in, this is what I want you to really get, is that we will live in a frustration. As believers, we will live in a frustration because we know the Spirit testifies of the glory of God and coming and we know that and we don't yet see that, but that is where we get to operate with Jesus, to see this planet redeemed and move along on the journey. Okay? 
I don't like an eschatology that says that it's all going to go to custard and God's going to have to come back and rescue us. Okay, maybe there'll be an element of that, but I believe that the wheat and the tears, they will grow up together. The dark will get dark and the light will get lighter. So it's easy for us to look at what's going on in the planet. Go back and have a look at what times were like when Jesus came under the Romans. The debauchery and all of that that was going on. It would be very easy for us to think, yeah, it's just going to custard. No, we are the ones who get to be a part of liberation and see another part of the kingdom. And just because the darkness may be getting darker doesn't stop us from getting lighter. The, 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 the issue is that in frustration, there is a very real risk that we give up. If you've ever trained for a marathon or if you've ever trained or you've looked to take a hold of something or you've tried to start a burger shop or something like that, (laughs) you know that there can come a frustration. And, And the tendency is, can be to give up. But this is why so much of the scripture just keeps cheering us on. Because I think God knows that we're in a tough, we're in a, we're in a frustration. Paul knows that we were going to see a frustration. Paul himself, you can see him all the way through the scripture. He wrestles with, I'd rather be with Jesus, but I'm here because I'm seeing cool stuff happen. But I'd really rather be with Jesus. But God doesn't want us to give up. He gives us. Now, now this is where it's really cool because I hope that you will go home and you'll read the next part of this passage and maybe even write a few notes out because after he talks about this frustration that we're in, he then lays out a whole bunch of real gold nuggets on how to keep going and how to encourage ourselves. And I haven't got time to read the whole of the passage, so let me summarize. This is what what you're going to find more of when you go home and read it. He goes on to say that whatever happens, he's still working it for good. So even when we feel like we've gone backwards, he's going to turn it around and he's going to use it for good. He goes on to say that he's called you, that he's justified you, and that he's glorified you. So in that frustration, you can have that knowledge that I am with my God, who is for me, he's justified me, he's made a way, and he has glorified me. We can go on to know that he is for us and he is not against us. These are gold nuggets to encourage us as we wrestle through some things. That he gave his son, and he'll give you everything you need to outwork your mission of seeing the earth liberated from the bondage of decay. That he is interceding for you. That he's at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for you. Jesus himself is interceding for you. That nothing can separate you from his love. And then probably one that we've, Memorize many of us that we are more than conquerors. And then caps it again by saying, and nothing can separate us from 
his love. Jesus is looking for us to permeate every aspect of society, whether that be education, whether that be justice, whether that be the government, whether that be arts, whether that be sports, whether that be family, whether that be media, whether that be business, if I haven't said that, he's looking for you and I to go and be yeast and to bring the kingdom in that place. And every single one of us right now is in a place. And he is for you. He is for you in seeing that kingdom. And he knows that it's sometimes freaking difficult in that, in that area you are. But he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He's given you his spirit. He is leading you. He says that you are more than a conqueror. He says that you can do it. He is, he is interceding for you. He is, he is your biggest cheerleader. He is your biggest fan. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.